Thank you for joining the Capital Church Podcast. We believe that Jesus is for you and that through these expressions of our community, you will find hope, healing, and belonging. To learn more, join us live every week online and visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at capitalchurch.co. Last week, we kind of completed the series of prayer. We talked about uh, prayer being important in our culture. We talked about what's happening in the world, what is occurring. There's a lot occurring right now. But I'm here today to tell you that I'm not focusing on what's occurring in the world. I'm focusing on who my God is in the world. God is active in our lives and we've got to we got to move to allow our spirits to to really receive him. And so today I want you to concentrate on on what uh, the Lord is saying to all of us. You're now in a Bible college class. I'm going to give you a Bible college lesson today. I'm going to the Word of God. I'm going to speak clearly out of the Word of God. I believe if you'll listen and hear, God will change your focus and how you're viewing things. I think think Christians are too feeble. What do I mean by that? We get too swayed by things. We're not solid. We're not planted deep. So when the wind blows, we kind of blow with it. The Bible says in Matthew 7, 24 through 27, when the wind comes and the wind blows and the storm comes upon our lives, we're so founded on the rock that we will not be blown asunder. Too many Christians are up and down Christians, roller coaster Christians. Let's be solid Christians. I'm the same, just like God. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm not swaying from who I am. I was taught this when I was a kid, and I still believe it. There's a scripture in. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. We sang it. I can see it in the hymn book right now. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. That's uh, 2 Timothy 1, 12. Man, I know whom I believe it. I don't have, I'm not shaken. I don't care what the world is saying. The world better be fearful of what God is saying, not the other way around. And so I don't care what is, what is occurring in the world. My faith, my eyes, my hope is in the word of God and the power of his, of his name and his word. Now I want to go to... Uh, 
I don't know about you, but when, when things are kind of swaying around you, do you know where I go to in the Bible? I just go to the very heart of the Bible. It's called Psalms. I love Psalms. 150 hymns. 150 songs. Psalms is, is a hymn book. It's 150 hymns that are to be sung. I wish we'd sing them a little bit more. And in singing them, I think they would bring life to us. Uh, I want to I go to one psalm today. I'm going to refer to two, but I'm going to teach on one. There's two psalms that open up the door for the whole book of psalms, and it's psalms one and two. Psalms one and two are, called the, are basically originally called orphan. They were orphan psalms, meaning that they did not know the author's. They couldn't figure out who wrote them. Finally, in the New Testament age, the second psalm was attributed to David. But for most part, they're called orphan songs, psalms. And there's something fitting in these two psalms. For the first has to do with law, and the second with prophecy. They're, 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 they're twin psalms in a sense. The law and the prophets. And on these two great hinges, all Old Testament revelation comes about. Um, In fact, these two Psalms open the door, I would say are the vestibule or the entry point to the entire book of Psalms. They have other points of interest too. Psalms 1 is emotional. Blessed is the man that... You know, you start going in that, you feel this, you feel it. So Psalms 1 is emotional. It begins with an overflowing rush of emotion. Basically, he says, oh, the happiness of the man who delights in the law of God. Psalms 2 is intellectual. It deals with a moral problem. It begins with the word why. Have you ever said the word why before? You're in congruence with Psalms 2. Why? Psalm 1 begins with a blessing and ends with a curse. Psalm 2 begins with a curse and ends with a blessing. Psalms 1 is essentially a psalm of Christ. Psalms 2 is essentially a psalm of the Antichrist. Psalms 1 shows the mediation of the godly, meaning that the godly, you know how to stand as a godly person personally. Because Psalms 1 is a personal psalm. Psalms 2 is a corporate psalm. Psalms 2 shows the mediation of the ungodly. And these two psalms form the introduction to the whole Hebrew hymn book. And they summarize for us the content of the entire book of Psalms. Psalms 2 along with Psalms 1 is kind of the vestibule, as I mentioned, entry point. Psalms 1 deals with the word. Psalms 2 deals with the world. I'm going to bring this up in a minute. You're going to see this. Psalm 1 deals with a particular specific, while Psalm 2 deals with the universal life. Psalm 1 contrasts the righteous with the ungodly, while Psalm 2 contrasts the nations with their divine ruler. Psalms 2 alerts us to the fact that we're not only dealing with our personal devotional life, and personal destiny, but also with the whole purpose of God in history and the destiny of our nations. 
The Bible reveals both God's plan for the world and its center point, the living word of God. So the Psalms and particularly the the whole of the Bible must always be interpreted Christocentrically, meaning through Christ. So the Psalms is broken down like this. Psalms 2 is both a messianic psalm and a prophetic psalm. And this prophetic psalm, now listen to me carefully, is both a present tense and a future tense, meaning it was applicable back when it was written and it's applicable in future days when it's about to come to pass. It is the ultimate triumph of heaven over earth. David, as I mentioned, is ultimately was seen as the author and he sees the world in a state of outright rebellion against God. And in this Psalm, I'm going to go to Psalm two. I'm not going to go to Psalm one today. I'd like to do both of them, but you have not given me enough time. So we're going to do Psalm two. Psalm two is broken into four parts and it's a common hatred of God. Let me give, this is your Bible college lesson today. Part one of Psalms chapter two is the nation's rebellion. Now listen to what he says. He starts out Psalms two verse one. Why? Why do the nations rage and the people plot or imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. Now, you might think, well, what's he talking about here? Well, the word imagine is the same word. Now, the word imagine here is the word plot. The the people plot or imagine a vain thing. The word imagine is the same word as in Psalms 1, where the godly man meditates day and night. Meaning, in the same way evil people imagine, the, the godly man meditates. In other words, the godly man uses his imagination to meditate upon the things of God and the godless nations use their imagination to find ways to rid mankind of God. You're going to see this is a very appropriate psalm for this day we live in. This is actually a premeditated crime of purpose. It has been planned and carried out by deliberate design. The word set that I just read to you is used. And the kings of the earth set themselves. They place themselves. This word means to take a stand. It means to take up a position. The nations take up a position that they have had enough of this Judeo-Christian religion. And they take a stand against it. It is almost like they have taken a vote and passed a United Nations resolution. That they're formally and firmly united in their desire to get rid of God. That's what's happening today, people. And this rebellion is not something imposed in the masses of mankind necessarily. In many cases, this popular grassroots movement, which involves everyone, they're united in the effort to get rid of God. They take counsel to get rid of Christianity, to get rid of the Bible, to get rid of God. This hatred is against the person of God and his Messiah Christ. That is what is happening today. 
take all the cream, everything else out of the scene, out of the picture. And this is what is happening. It's already prophesied to us. It is given to us and he'll tell us what to do. You see, this rebellion is against the hated precepts of God. Men want to get rid of, of the cords. They want to get rid of the bands, or shall we say the restraints, which the Bible imposes on society. The moral and ethical teachings of the Bible are repugnant to the rebellious heart. This is a world where the time-honored Bible restraints are thrown off and men now develop their own system of morality. Why not 52 genders? I, I'm, that, that isn't even funny anymore because they're actually saying that. I mean, we laugh, but it's, we laugh because it's so stupid. Why can't I have my definition of marriage? Why can't I abort babies as I want? I mean, the list goes on. We can talk all day about their morality. And then what really gets me is they quote scripture to support their view. Wow. But that's where we're at. And so this, this scripture is pretty contemporary. And you know, what I, what I marvel at is everybody thinks that the progressive movement is progressing. It's actually regressing. It's going back to the sin that started in the garden. This morality lets them do as they please without being faced with the warnings and the wooings of God. They find what the Bible says about the sanctity of marriage, sexual purity, respect for parents, you know, on and on the list goes. They find it very old-fashioned. So this rebellion finds its focus in universal hatred of God's person and God's precepts. These nations, now let me say it this way, it isn't just nations, it's people groups within nations. They see them submission to God as bondage and his sovereignty as restricted and his will is demeaning. They don't realize God is the one that made us and he designed us and he knows how we best work. And they're doing the same thing that Adam and Eve did in the garden. They're responding to the serpent's whisper. You can be like God. It's all about trying to be God. So now we see the problem. Now we see the situation. Let's go to part two. There's four parts. Part two is God's great scorn. So in part two, verse four, it says, he who sits in the heaven shall laugh. Well, wow, that's an interesting follow-up. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep pleasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. At this reaction of what we saw in verses one and following, 
At this reaction from the nation, God simply responds by laughing. Now, the word laughter here is utter guttural roaring. He sits back in his lap on his throne and he actually fills the universe with peal after peal of terrible spine-tingling laughter, if you want to put it that way. Basically saying, men are such fools. How can puny man hope to win against almighty God? I'll give you a little story to illustrate this. There was a French revolutionary who had helped storm the Bastille during the French Revolution. He had scaled the cathedral of Notre Dame, torn the cross from the spire, and dashed it into fragments on the pavement below. He turned to an observer and he said, we're going to pull down all that reminds us of God. The observer looked at him and replied, then can you pull down the stars? Shows how puny we really are. We think because we have orbited the earth in a capsule, using material God has supplied, stepped in the moon, made the internet, computers, iPhones, all this technological thing. We think we can compete with a God who has orbited a hundred million galaxies and Holds the universe in the span of his hand. Wow, you got a lot of faith. As if man, who has solved some of the secrets of the atom and managed to scare himself half to death in the process, can compete with a God who stokes the nuclear fires of a billion stars. Come on, people, let's let's get this thing right. Man, for all his technology and his talents, for all his science and skill, for all of his inventions, is still just man. And God is God. He's eternal. Uncreated. Were you there when? Where were you? He was uncreated. I, do you know the hardest thing I have to try to do to explain to my grandkids is how God Always has been. You ever, tried to, you ever tried to explain that? No, I'm sorry. God always has been. He's uncreated. He's self-existent. He's omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. He's infinite, infallible. He's holy. He's high. He's lifted up and worshiped by countless angelic beings. <laughs> News from earth doesn't dismay him. Doesn't make him nervous. He doesn't get up in the morning, look at the morning paper and say, oh my God, what are we going to do? He is God, you know. Come on, let's get this thing down. Isaiah 40 verse 15 says, behold, the nations are as a drop in a bucket. All nations before him are as nothing and they are counted by him less than nothing and worthless. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. He brings the princes to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth useless. Listen, people. In a few decades, you will not remember the names of those in authority today. But you will know the name of God. (laughs) Oh, they think they've got it together. But God simply... Laughs in the heavens. 
Then as the last laugh fades away, it is replaced by a rising tide, this is in scripture here, of fearful holy wrath. As he hears man and their plans to rid the planet of of God, of himself, he simply says, hey, Michael, why don't you take about 12 angels down there and pour out my wrath on them, on those who are disobedient. And then he concludes this portion of scripture in Psalms 2. He concludes by communicating his determination to set his king up in Jerusalem. When God decides something, it is settled. Come on, people. Why are you so worried, so anxious? We're in an era where the enemy wants to just blow on us. This fear thing has just caught us. But we serve God. We serve the God of the universe. He hasn't changed. He's the same God as back in 2019. Same God as 2000, same God as 1900. Same God as when Jesus entered the earth himself. Come on, it's the same God and he's still alive. He's still active and he's still in charge. And these guys who think that they can mandate and do all these other things to create chaos, God just laughs. I realized we were in a war And they were trying, they, what, what they were really doing was coming against God and his anointed when they started mandating the church being shut down. Not so much in Idaho, praise God. Other states. They were mandating the church being shut down, but casinos and liquor stores and, I mean, it was so obvious. You go, huh? Oh, you can go in there and do everything you want, but go to church? And they out, then they outlawed singing. Duh. Do you think we're that stupid? All the droplets might get on someone. Now, again, how, what do I come back to? God laughs. He says, don't mock my children. I'm bringing us back to what scripture says. Come on, church, let's get a little iron spine. Let's stand up for what is right. We don't have to be, listen to me, we don't have to be adversarial about it. That's who we are is sons of the living God, daughters of the living God. We represent heaven. And the Bible says, don't touch my anointed by the way. So, part three. You still ready, class? You doing okay? Part three is God's glorious son where it says, Psalms 2, verse 7, says, I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I've begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. God now declares in this portion of scripture his destiny over rebellious nations. He decrees two things about his his king. The king is his son and the king is begotten by him. You say, well, 
That's pretty simple. No, it's pretty, pretty profound, really. For in the Old Testament, the title son indicates intimate relationship and subordination. As son, the king's rule is divinely authored and legitimized. The anointed king on Mount Zion, then, is the son of God, mediating God's presence and bearing God's kingdom. The notice is this. God promises to give the nations and the continents, and his destiny is to rule this whole planet. All Jesus has to do is ask. He only has to ask. Then how is he going to do it? Through power and judgment, Christ is going to rule. Now, let me, let me explain this to you. Christ now in, comes today in an age of grace. We live in a dispensation of grace. Listen, people, if I took you to Revelations and I started opening it up for you, you would see a God, a dispensation of wrath. You see, you can't understand love if you don't understand wrath. There are two sides. People don't understand. You can't have a heaven and not a hell. And so we, we see this is happening here. Christ comes to us now in this day or dispensation of grace to rule in our hearts by his love. In other words, he's bidding us and begging us to come to him out of love. It's a dispensation of grace. You have been given grace. That's why we love the song Amazing Grace. Come on, people. You, but you, just, you, you live in grace. You do. You just live in grace. However, the scripture tells us, however, it changes for those who are rebellious. So take heed. Another day will dawn and the conquering Lord will come on a white charger, according to Revelation, with the armies of heaven to rule forever and ever. This is truth. And he will break them and dash them, those who maintain their rebellion. But he's not willing that any should perish. That's why it's taking some time. Not willing. He just wants everyone to come. That is, that is why we're here. That is why we've been, you know, he hasn't come sooner than he has. He's asking us, his kids, to tell everybody about who he is. And then we go to four, part four, God's gracious spirit. Part, Psalm 2, verse 10 says, Now therefore be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all those who put their trust in him. So this scripture tells us God's Holy Spirit yearns over lost mankind. Right now, he's yearning over lost mankind. God takes no pleasure in judging men. He would rather save them than judge them. So in this part, God offers man peace, not war. He's offering his peace. But God will never force his love and mercy upon those who are determined to rebel. Before waging war, God always offers conditions of peace, and that's what he's doing right now. He's offering peace. You might say, well, come on, God, let's get this thing together. Would you control? Oh, he's controlling things. 
He wants all of us to be blessed and happy. Kind of like the people of Psalm 1 who trust in the Lord. The word serve, interestingly enough, that I read to you just in this last portion, is used in parallel with the verb worship. You come to serve the Son. Psalm 100 verse 2 says, Serve the Lord with gladness, come before his presence with singing. So God calls or ties serving and worship together. Ties submission and worship together. Psalm 95, 6 says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Worship also includes joy and rejoice with trembling. I don't know about you, but there are times when I come in the presence of God, there is trembling inside of me. I realize the omniscience, the omnipotence of God. This morning, the worship team did great. But think what's going to happen when we get to heaven and hear the anthems of heaven. I got to tell you something. I just remembered this. What, Connie, what was it? Monday night? Monday night, I, I woke up having dreamt. I didn't know what it was at first. I've been, I've been having interesting dreams recently. It says the old men shall dream dreams. Okay. I woke up and I remembered a song. I heard it. I had come out of a dream where I was in a place I had never been before and I, my eyes were only on the feet of people and I couldn't see. But everywhere I went in this building and I couldn't see, my eyes were not allowed to go up. I could just see multitudes of people with their feet and this anthem was being sung that I'd never heard before. Now, if you know me, I know most anthems. I know hymns. I'd never heard it before. And I started singing and it grew and it grew. And out of that, I realized I was in heaven. I was in a a room where the presence of God was resonating and they sang this song over and over. Song I'd never heard. I thought, oh boy, we're going to learn more songs in heaven. What is that doing? It's illustrating what I'm just saying here. Worship and serving. I came out of that morning just elevated my spirit. Kissing the sun is the act of worship itself. It's the concrete sign of surrender. The Greek word for worship, which is proskoneo, means come forward to kiss. To surrender to Christ, to rejoice in his presence, to kiss him is an act of submission. It means that our rebellion is over. It's like kissing the ring of the king. If Christ does not ride into our hearts on a donkey, he will ride down our hearts on on a charger. The psalm closes out by saying, blessed or happy are all those who put their trust and seek refuge in him. This is the way to happiness according to this scripture. To make the son the object of our faith and to flee to him. To flee to him. So Psalms 1 and 2 both echo the theme of blessing and happiness. One personally, one corporately. I did the corporate one today because it's prophetic. I think there's a prophetic move of God in the universe. I feel it. I sense it. It's pulsing in my heart. I can see parts of it. We never get the whole picture because we can only see in part, as it says in in, uh, 1 Corinthians 13. 
But I, I need to tell you that the, the story of King Richard the Lionheart kind of came to me as, as I was studying here. Richard was a born leader of men. He was a general, a fighter, a wrestler, runner. He was the courtliest knight in the, in the court. And uh, as you remember the story of him, maybe you don't know the story. He came to the throne at 32 years of age. And then he led the third crusade determined to overcome the enemy of the Middle East. But while he was away, his kingdom fell on hard times. His chancellor abused his office and rode roughshod over all the people. And then his own brother, John, plotted to seize the throne. John was selfish, cruel, crafty, cynical. I mean, he was a, he was a bad guy. When news came to England that Richard had been in prison and was being held for ransom by his old enemy, Leopold of Austria, of Austria John was really delighted, his brother. So John entered into treasonable correspondence with the king of France and planned to seize England for himself while the people suffered and longed for the return of the king. Then one day, King Richard came back. He landed in England and marched straight for his throne. John's castles tumbled. Richard laid claim to his realm and none dared stand in his path. The people shouted their delight as the bells of London rang day and night. The lion was back. Long live the king. Can I tell you one day, a greater king than Richard will lay claim to a greater realm than England. And those who have abused his absence, seized his vast estates, mismanaged his world, will all be swept aside. I'm warning you, not you, them. Every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him, according to scripture, this world has not seen the last of Jesus. Jesus is coming again. And he's coming back in sovereign, omnipotent power backed by the armies of heaven. I'm telling you scripture right now. And we're seeing, we're seeing things right now that just kind of shake our soul. Don't, don't be shaken. God's at work. But today, God, by his Holy Spirit, is offering terms of peace. Now, let me tell you that he's offering terms of peace, and we can come and embrace him and be safe for all eternity. In other words, the amnesty is not forever. We've been given amnesty, but this amnesty will one day be withdrawn and you won't be able to accept it. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the time. Did you notice that they, all the songs they sang today were almost correlating what I'm preaching about today? So here's our conclusion. This is our response. Class, Bible college class, how are you doing? This psalm is actually evangelistic. It is addressed to the nations. It beats with a missionary heart. It's the nations who are in revolt against Christ, but it's also the nations who are promised to him. And it, it is the nations who are called to him. Psalms 2 directs the nations to the Son, warns them of judgment to come, and promises them blessing if they will worship him. Listen to me carefully. Imagine a world where you don't have crime or violence, 
where the internet does not need to be filtered, where there's no bad part of town, where there's no fear being mugged while walking at night. There's no gang violence. There's no drug problem. There's no homelessness. There's no drug pushers. Drive-by shootings, not found here. For this is a nation who has kissed the sun. God has asked us to join him in this endeavor to bring his purposes to the world. God invites us to participate in the work of bringing about this picture that he's given to us, to the earth. Let's go back just for a minute. Do you know what God's initial mandate was? Genesis 1.28. I keep telling you this. His initial mandate was this. Listen, people, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This mandate did not cease at the fall. This occurred before the fall, but it not, not, did not cease at the fall. It's also a mandate today. You see, we're created in the image of God. And this is governmental in, stat, in stature, this, this mandate. In ancient times, hear me out here, in ancient times, an emperor might command statues of himself to be placed in the remote parts of his emperor, his empire. And these symbols would declare that these areas were under his power and his reign. So God placed humankind, mankind, all of us, as living symbols of himself on earth to represent his reign. We are made to reflect his majesty on the earth and have dominion. We are to rule as God's regents. Why are we messing around with so little when we have so much? I just feel like the believer has, has adopted this mentality, this least common denominator. We, we just, just give me the crumbs. Just give me the crumbs. No, you're a king. You're a prince. We've adopted all this. We believe the lies of the world and Satan and we listen to his whispers. When God has said, no, I want you to, I want you to exist in Boise, Idaho and Meridian and wherever I place you as a standard of my goodness and my, my presence, you are my regent. We need to go up to the mountain and get full of the glory. So we, when we come down, people will say, oh, he's been with God. But no, we, we just play around with the things of God. We just toy with it. You see, God's main emphasis was, was not just the gospel of salvation, but the gospel of the kingdom of God. He didn't say repent so you can be saved. That's not what he said. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, turn around. Come over here, for the kingdom of heaven is here. It's right, right here. We didn't, we didn't receive Jesus just to have salvation. We received Jesus to be a part of his kingdom. Jesus wasn't just looking for converts for a kingdom. He was inviting people into a new kingdom with a new government and a new king. He was inviting people to live heaven on earth. That's why he said, 
when you pray. Pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're not just to pray, we're living. We're to let it shine and all of us are not good at this. We need to let God just permeate us that we can be the regents and people will say, I know who you are. You're one of those Christians. So what is God's will for his children on earth? Well, it's Matthew 28. Go therefore make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let, let me give you a contemporary statement of Matthew 28. Let me say it in my words. Go and release Jesus in you into every nation. What is that? Go and release Jesus into your business. Go and release Jesus into your school. Go and release Jesus here, Jesus there. That's what you're doing. If you're an accountant, you're releasing Jesus into your accountant businesses. If you're a plumber, you're releasing Jesus to those you touch. If I was a plumber, you know what I'd be doing? I'd be praying over that house. Glory to God, come. We need to see the incarnated Savior manifesting through us in society. God wants his word and his presence felt in everything we think, everything we plan, everything we do. Let's begin to believe God for holy nations. Entire nations where spiritual darkness is so weakened, so defeated by the presence of light in the children of God that answers to prayer are unhindered. Think of this. Do you know what's happening today? We have hindrances because there's so much darkness. A nation where the body of Christ is alive and vibrant and healing flows to all that the body touches, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. What would happen if America, truly America, was so full of God, hospitals would be emptied. Mental institutions would be no more. I'm telling you, he is the answer. No, he, well, that's a nice phrase, Pastor Ken. Yeah, it is a pretty good phrase. He is the answer. And today, I, I just think, you see, I have to understand this. The reason why there's darkness in America and the world is because light hasn't shown enough. Because darkness is just the absence of light. It's not an essence. It's the absence of light. What if Americans, what if Christians, what if capital would stand up? Would, we would really do what we've been called to do. We would shine. Watch out, devil. Things would happen. Wow. First Peter chapter 2 says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Can this really happen in nations? Oh yeah, it happened. Joshua saw it happen in the Bible. Hezekiah. Other times. Revelations 22.2 says, In the middle of, this, of its streets, and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. 
The leaves of the tree were, were for the healing of the nations. He didn't say for the saving of souls, for the healing of the nations. Class, how are you doing? Now, let me tell you, I've told this story many times, but 1727 in Hernhut, Germany, a group of Moravians, they called them, came to a place called Hernhut. And God spoke to them and they started praying 24 hours a day. God told them to pray. The scripture they took was Leviticus 6.13. They began to pray day and night. 24 men, 24 women for 120 years. And they added more people to it as, as time went on. 120 years praying around the clock. Historians have proven that that's what saved the world in 1700s, 1800s, and we're probably still living off their prayers. John Wesley went there and said, I wish I could stay here all my life. They sent missionaries around the world. What would, what would God say to us? It was only a community of about 300 people. We have a larger community than that. A community of 300 people to start with. Then many came. Started prayer around the clock, 24 hours. I'm not saying that's what he's saying for us to do, but he is asking us to do something. And we, we felt it. I felt it before even Pastor Benny came. Then Pastor Benny came and started preaching and, you know, shocking us a little and pushing us forward a little. God's doing something in this church. And we gotta, we gotta listen to him and see what he says. And when he says it, we, I can't have just 20% of us doing it. You know, that's typical. 20% of the church does most of the work. We got to have the whole church arise, say, hey, listen, I'll do my part. Whatever that is, I, I don't know. Tonight, they're at CYA, they're going to have worship night. I think some of you should just show up. Some of you adults. Some of you think you're, you're spiritual. Show up. Worship. Praise God. I don't know. God's saying something, and I know by the end of the year, we're going to know pretty clearly what it is. I just know that. I know him. I know her. Do you know what the result? Hernhut, two years ago, my friend, John, went to Hernhut for the anniversary. I think it was the, what was it? 300th, I don't know, anniversary of Hernhut. I talked to him on the phone. You know what he told me? He says, Ken, you can still feel it there. You can feel the prayers and the presence of God. I'm telling you people, if we start doing what God has asked to do in prayer, discipleship, see, we pray, we worship, we disciple, we love people, we, we care for people, we are generous. All these things that we do as a church, you know what we're doing? We're shining light. We're increasing the light and removing the darkness. Is that it, God? So, nations can be reformed through radical followers 
of the revolutionary biblical principles to disciple nations and follow Jesus. I think that's our call, that's our mandate. Let's stop being, I shouldn't say pious, wimpy Christians. And let's stand in faith and believe for God to do something powerful in our day. Can we do that? Can you have faith? You know, in America, here's, here's the problem in America. We have been programmed to be spectators. You've been programmed. What do you do? You spectate on TV. You spectate in sports. Even come to church to some degree and spectate. We try to get you involved in worship, different things. And, but we've been programmed to spectate. You've got to get involved. You have to start somewhere. Now, this is what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to ask God today. We're going to pray in just a minute. Ask God, what is he asking you to do at this time and juncture in history for you to do personally to upgrade your spiritual life, to get you shining brighter? What's he asking you to do? What? Come on, what's he asking you to do? We're going to pray that in a minute. Second thing we're going to be asking in the church, we're going to ask God, Lord, what do you want us to do? What if, what if Idaho became a city of refuge in such a way that people who entered the city got healed? They entered the city, they had an encounter with God. I know God works in borders and boundaries. For I have encountered it myself. I told you the story a few weeks ago. Where I've crossed a border between a, 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 a two cities and God's presence was on one side and wasn't on the other. It, it, it hit us. I'm telling you, what if what if we re-raised a, an anthem, a, a light in in Meridian, in, in, in Boise, in the Treasure Valley, and whoever entered the boundaries of this area encountered God. Now listen to me. I, politicians aren't going to save us. Businessmen aren't going to save us. God is. Now I, I believe in doing the right things. Now there's an election on Tuesday. There is an election on Tuesday. You should vote. But they're not going to save us. What we hope for them is the best. We hope that they will put in righteous laws and principles that we can exist, exist rightly in because that's, that's what the Bible says their role is. They're, according to, Matt, to Romans 13, they're ministers of the gospel. But don't expect them to save us. Amen? So if you, if you all should be voting on Tuesday, even you Californians, I hope you came up here for the right reason. Don't you dare mess things up. I was born here. And if you dare mess this up, you're going to have trouble with me. Even you mission ganders and others too. What I'm saying is, let's do the right thing as believers. Let's change our city, our state, our nation. And if you don't know who to vote for, this is me personally, this is not church. Go to conservativesof.com and you can find out who to vote for. They have vetted these, vetted these people, conservativesof.com. And you can know who to vote for. Okay, you with me, church? 
come on, let's, let's, if some, something's going to happen, I'm, I'm telling you right now, I'm getting ready. I can, I, I can hear it. I can smell it. I can sense it. God's getting ready to speak to us. You better get your personal life ready and, and strategize as to how God's going to use you right now. And then let's see what God will do with, with all of us together. Okay, bow your heads. Let's pray. Father, we just pray right now by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would speak to us. You would clarify your word. Lord, you would, you would do something unique and powerful in our lives. Lord, I'm believing that even this morning, you're going you're gonna to speak words of revelation to everyone in this room. We're, we're going to hear the voice of God. You're going you're gonna to show us. You're going to direct our steps. We're going to trust in you. We're going to run to our refuge. You're going to help us in, in this process. And I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that, that you begin to evoke your anointing and your will on the earth, in this land, even in our church and in Idaho. Let it be done in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Now with your heads bowed, I want to ask one question. Just every head bowed. I want to ask this question right now because it's, it, it bears asking. There may be some this morning. There were first service. There may be some this morning. This is an age of grace. And you're not right with Jesus. Your relationship with Christ is not right. Something's wrong. Maybe you haven't committed your life. Maybe you've gotten off path somewhere. And you want to make it right today. All I want to do is pray for you. So if that's you, just lift your hand right now. Just lift your hand. I want to pray for you. Just all across this. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to give towards this ministry, learn more about our church and events, or are in need of prayer, please visit capitalchurch.co.